Hi, this is Andrew Smitty, content manager and host of the Reforming Worship podcast. I'd like to take a few moments to remind the audience of the outline provided in the description box of episode one. Whatever platform you're on, if you go to the first episode, there is a drive link provided, uh, and from there you can access the outline. Secondly, uh, we will not be recording new episodes for the next five weeks. However, uh, we don't intend to leave you uh, with nothing at all. We'll be rolling out several interviews with our friend and uh, guest, Pastor Bruce Buchanan, minister at Chain of Lakes Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Central Lake. And we're going to be discussing many topics pertaining to what we've set forth uh, on the program. Pastor Bruce Buchanan is a gift to the church, a wise friend, and a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has modeled excellence in worship um, and in handling God's word. Uh, It's been a real privilege uh, to have him on the show, to have received so much of his time. Uh, We're so thankful for it, and we hope that you are uh, exceedingly exceedingly blessed um, with the next five weeks of content that we have um, in these interviews. Uh, They drive straight to the heart of how we see Christ in the scriptures and how God has condescended through covenant to work out salvation for his people and so much more. Um, so stay tuned, uh, enjoy, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. Hello, welcome to the Reforming Worship Podcast, brought to you by the Church of Philadelphia in Traverse City, Michigan. A 21st century Reformation cry for the Christian church to return to the scriptures and worship God as he is prescribed in the Bible. I'm Andrew Smitty, your host and content manager, introducing Pastor Caleb Leach, Minister of Word and Sacrament, along with our special guest, Pastor Bruce Buchanan, the Chain of Lakes Presbyterian Church, Orthodox Presbyterian Church in uh, Ellsworth, Michigan. In fact, we're sitting here in the sanctuary, this blessed place where we have the privilege of joining uh, Sunday evenings uh, with the congregation here. As Pastor Bruce leads us uh, in the worship of the Lord, and what a privilege it is. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Certainly. So, we, um, a little backstory. Uh, Christmas of, what was it? I think it was, yeah, it was 2018, wasn't it? Yeah, Christmas of 2018. Um, uh, my wife and I, we got to visit Cheney Lakes Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And uh, um, there was a, there's Pastor Bruce up there handling the scriptures in such a way. I had read about the Christocentric hermeneutic, but I haven't really heard it in practice like that. So whether he likes it or not, he became the preaching class that I never had. And uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, we just absolutely, um, we absolutely loved our time here. Um, I called Pastor Bruce up not too long after that, and uh, we sat down. We sat down for, I think it was pretty close to four hours. <laughs> Anyway, I've been starving for this kind of conversation, and uh, just uh, just the, the blessing that Pastor Bruce has been to me, and uh, just the, the clarity at which he sees the scriptures, and just the depth of wisdom and knowledge there. He's, uh, his kindness to me has been a kindness to our church entirely, and uh, we're, very, we're very grateful. It was also a wonderful time when we had him over to, uh, to preach one New Year's, uh, New Year's sermon. That was that was fantastic. A, a fresh start, I believe. And so, as as many of you know, um, our church has gone through a lot in the way of Reformation. We've gone through. Um, we started out a pretty dispensational congregation with some like pseudo 
Calvinistic soteriology kind of crammed into the middle of the dispensational framework, which quite obviously doesn't work. Um, but it was, <laughs> but God was kind to us for Christ's sake. And while there were charismatic overtones, I had come from the hyper charismatic movement. The Lord had decided to reform us as a congregation. But when that seemed to be at its darkest, where Andrew and I were pedo Baptists and nobody else was <laughs> at the, at, just for the time, um, Pastor Bruce and uh, Pastor Bruce and I, we got to we got to talk, and he was a uh, he was certainly he was certainly a blessing. During that time, so we're trying to reconstruct that uh, that argument, not argument that we're trying to reconstruct that uh, that conversation, conversation, those early yeah. conversations. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, Pastor Bruce, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been pastor here at Chain Lakes for about thirteen years, uh, a little more by this point, but uh, the Lord has kept us um, in his grace during all that uh, time. Um, by far, the great, much greater part of all my ordained service in the church. Um, I came here, uh, I already had a fairly big family, uh, bigger than most, and uh, the Lord uh, added to it couple times while we lived here, and um, it's been uh, really kind of uh, fun to, in, in a unique sort of way, in a different sort of way, to have uh, you, Caleb, come and um, kind of come from the outside and, and uh, ask me for some time, which I was more than happy to lend you. That's fine. <laughs> happy to do it. Uh, uh, and then to have you ask questions right up my alley, you know, things that I love, things that I enjoy. So it was a lot of fun to sit there for a couple of four hours, whatever it was, the first time we really had a, a chat and um, talk about these great truths and um, try to orient uh, ourselves, not just me trying to get you, but trying to get the uh, the word of God to be central to our conversation, the um, witness of Christ to be um, paramount in all of our uh, thinking. So it was um, um, a blessing to be a part of, uh, you know, I, I would just say, would it be fair to say your development? I, I kind of Absolutely. feel like I'm not really a... Uh, a, a, a an instructor or or a a mentor, uh, except that the Lord makes us mentors or He makes us uh, servants according to His will. So, if I am any mm-hmm. kind of mentor, it's because He made me a mentor at a time when it seemed like it might be helpful for you and. Uh, we can just chalk it up to the Lord's grace and providence. Amen. Amen to all of that. Oh, man, so where do you start? First of all, 
the conversations I've had with this man have been such a blast. There have been more than one occasion, especially when the weather is nicer, where we get talking outside the church after the poor guy has locked up, and <laughs> we get talking for a while. One time, one time, your wife had even driven back here to make sure you were okay, <laughs> if I recall correctly. So, if for you theology nerds out there. And those people who wish that pretty much every podcast was going in greater depth, I, th- I think you're going to really enjoy the being let in on these kinds of conversations. And I don't know where it's going to go, so let's uh, let's uh, let's dive in. Oh, this does need to be said. I don't want to say this, but it does need to be said. So much, uh, so much today is guilt by association. It's absolutely ridiculous what happens out there. Um, so. By us talking <laughs> in this awesome unity that the Lord has given us, that is in no way Pastor Bruce um, backing everything I've said, nor is it, uh, nor am I endorsing everything Pastor Bruce has ever said. We do have we do have disagreements out there, and we might address them at a later date, but not not today. Today we're going to talk about some stuff that we are in lockstep agreement on. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So from the Westminster. Uh, Confession of Faith, chapter 7, on God's covenant with man, section 6. I'm just going to read it. Under the gospel, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the ordinance in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them it is held forth in more fullness evidence and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both the Jew and Gentile, and is called the New Testament. There are not therefore two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. Now, in the Reformed world, um, for for example, a Reformed Baptist of the 1689 per- persuasion, um, their parallel text. This is one of the few times where they they divert from the from the Westminster um, quite a bit, and uh, they make the statement that Adam received the gospel in seed form, and then through, through successive revelation, it came in more and more clarity, and the final clarity was was Christ in the New Testament. You'll often hear. Um, I know that when I was a Reformed Baptist, or even when I was even more so when I was a charismatic, there was a chasm between Malachi and Matthew, and no real consistency as to uh, as to God um, dealings with His people. Um, would you? Uh, this was a this was a this was a beacon of clarity for me um, in just looking into what caused these men to write this. Uh, care to expound at all? Just feel free. Go for it. Well. As I understand the typical Baptist perspective, I want to be careful not to paint with too broad a brush stroke. I always uh, try to be scrupulously fair, if I can, uh, to, the, to the degree I'm able to, um, with handling other people's views. So uh, allowing for anybody else's particular difference um, I think it's fair to say that um, many of the Baptists that I have talked to and have expressed themselves in this way have said that uh, the new covenant or the, the new test the, um, the the covenant of grace is made or given at last in Jesus Christ um, 
And prior to that, you have, uh, as some might put it, hints or or uh, uh, greater uh, unveiling of what will come. Um, there is also participation to some degree in, in some way, shape, or form with the spiritual realities of the new covenant. Um, but there is a significant difference, a marked difference in the substance before Christ's coming. Whereas in the more classical covenant theology perspective, the Presbyterian, the Westminster perspective, the substance is identical. The substance is one. So that that which is expressed uh, in Old Testament shape, uh, under Old Testament uh, exhibits, and there are many exhibits, and there are stages that we also would admit to and confess to, um, but the essence, the substance, is unchanged, and Therefore, in our view, the covenant of grace is being administered uh, through the earlier administrations, whether we're talking about the the Abrahamic administration, a very important administration, we would say, um, even more important in certain respects, than the Mosaic administration. And um, you can go back in some ways prior to Abraham. You can talk about uh, the covenant that was really in seed form and in a germinal form. I've used the concept of conception, you might even say, with the uh, Proto-Evangelium or Genesis 3 and verse uh, 16, and um, where the Lord promises that he will crush the seed of the serpent. He will crush the serpent's head. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. I'll put enmity between your seed and his seed. and um, But that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And that's kind of the, the, the original hope, the original hope where God is promising that man will not stay in this fallen, wrecked, and ruined estate, but will be brought into an estate of um, fellowship once again. And you have, I think, instituted, uh, even through the, the clothing, the animal skins that are given to them, I think you have the institution of sacrifice being put forward there. It's not explicit, but you don't get animal skins without dead animals. Um, and um, by the time you have the next chapter and you have Cain and Abel bringing offerings, you definitely have the institution of sacrifice already in place because they have learned this from somewhere, presumably from their first parent, our, our first parents. And so uh, you have covenant dealings 
that God is making with his people even before you get to Abraham and then Moses, but you, uh, you have um, the technical term of covenant, or berit in Hebrew. Um, I think it's first found with respect to Noah, as God uh, engages with Noah after the flood. Um, but you don't want to be, you don't want to make the word concept fallacy which is to fail to recognize you know, the covenant where it exists, even though you might not have a particular term. Um, and there are arguments, good arguments, I think, but arguments as well where you can um, even find reference to covenant as far back as uh, the original relationship between God and man prior to the fall which we call uh, the covenant of works, where it's all man's continued blessed relationship with God is based upon his obedience. Right? Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die, says the Lord. And, of course, they broke that, and they earned, they uh, reaped the... Sorry, reward of death and destruction. So if you just follow the story through and you're looking at it with a particular lens that you know, we tend to look at it through, um, something has to restore the relationship. The Lord steps in and inaugurates the covenant of grace, our theology there. So that takes a special expression when God finally makes promises to Abraham. So you don't get but 12 chapters into Genesis before you have God making a special connection with Abraham. And that arrangement, that that set of promises and grace that God is showing him, unmerited favor, uh, all of this, as Paul highlights, when you get all the way down to the New Testament frame, and Paul is writing um, with the light of Christ's arrival and, and all this beauty that uh, the New Testament is for us, he is saying, look, you just go back to the Old Testament. Find the, 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 the originator in human terms, of of a, of a covenant uh, uh, expression um, that is beyond the seed form and all that, and and you get this this covenant with Abraham as it's expressed in chapter twelve and chapter fifteen and chapter seventeen, um, and I've I've likened those covenant chapters to um, uh, I've just an, I've made an analogy to a um, a wedding before I said you've got uh, the promises or the um, the engagement you might say there in in chapter 12 um, you have the ceremony in chapter 15 uh, you have the 
ring. You have the symbol. You have the uh, uh, the sign of the covenant given in chapter 17. Um, these are temporally widely dispersed moments. But the story of Abraham is also one story. It's God's creating this arrangement with Abraham and his seed. Um, ultimately, as is um, most manifest and clear in the 22nd chapter, it's clear that there's one ultimate seed, which is Isaac, um, but the, uh, the reality is that there are all of these many descendants, as numerous as the sands of the seashore, as the stars in the heavens, the Lord promises him. So there's, there's this dual aspect of this promise that he's making. And how does he receive the promise? Does he receive it because he's working for it, because God respects his, his abilities and his obedience? Is he such a great uh, man of uh, character and... Um, uh, law-keeping. I don't know anyone who can read, fairly read, the story of Abraham and come away with the notion that he knew himself to be or other people uh, always thought of him as an obedient man. He, he's, he's very clearly one who was given on more than one occasion to lie. Um, he... Uh, is rebuked um, by a couple of heathen kings, I believe, Pharaoh and uh, Abimelech. Um, he gets into trouble, uh, hot water, uh, whatever you want to say, when um, Sarah uh, persuades him. He gives into her her counsels uh, to... Um, uh, Take another wife, as it were. Take uh, Hagar, the woman, to, to, um, and, and the Lord ultimately uses this, of course, to great effect to to teach many significant religious and and, and uh, spiritual truths. But that doesn't make it okay. It doesn't. It doesn't whitewash his his various sins, and and so Abraham, Paul is very clear about this. He says, look, the text itself tells us he believed the Lord, Genesis 15, 6, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And this makes the covenant of, of, of grace, it, it puts the covenant of grace into um, concrete form when God enters into this special relationship with with Abraham, it's predicated on grace, on um, faith as opposed to works, and henceforth, those who are accounted, again, this is Paul's language, those who are accounted Abraham's seed are those who share his faith. And Paul says it was true before Christ, and it's true now, so since Christ has come. So there's this one connection with God that really counts for anything, and that is 
faith in Christ. Faith in the Christ that hasn't come yet, but he's coming. And faith in the Christ who has come and done all that the all that was expected and, and hoped for and and um, and so we you know we say this is the same religion it may take different forms certainly we would not we would want to be careful with a language like to say Abraham uh, was a Christian because we wouldn't want to be absolutely um, grossly anachronistic uh, however. It is fair and accurate to say that uh, whatever you want to call Abraham's faith, um, it's the same faith that today we call Christianity with all of the attendant um, conditions, uh, uh, the look of it, the, the expression of it. I'm trying to use the right word there. But all the things that we identify as true Christianity today... Um, have uh, have a particular presentation, right? Um, but there are connections to the faith expressions that were before Christ. And there's something more there in our view than simply um, people thinking these things, these activities, these these connections, they aren't connecting me with Christ the way that um, word and sacrament does today, in, in this time. Um, we, we as covenant theologians, classic, classic covenant theologians, um, would not agree with that. Uh, we would say that there's more to what those Old Testament saints were enjoying and uh, participating in than... Uh, simply um, looking forward to something. Um, they were engaged with the covenant of grace. And in our view, it's not just the arrival of Christ and the new covenant fulfillment of the hopes and aspirations of the previous administrations or dispensations. The terms are essentially the same. Uh, as we use them, and uh, um, so they were, they were participating in 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 the covenant of grace. Their their uh, their signs and seals, their promises and statements of God, um, were this were of the substance. Right, the the connection between the sign and the thing signified was as real for them as it is for us. Um, they really were receiving the benefits of Christ and the new covenant uh, mediated through those pr- previous and earlier forms. So uh, That's a long-winded response. Well, first cut that, all, you can cut that one down. So. No, 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 don't, 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 don't you dare. Not a chance. <laughs> you do, you're fired. <laughs> I'm completely kidding. Um, no, that was, that was fantastic. I already, I, Andrew's got a full eight and a half by 11 page almost filled out, and I'm on my second here of a smaller, of a smaller page here. That's, that, that was, that was wonderfully stated. Um, 
and I learn more every single time I talk to you. Um, so, okay, let's go back to the let's go back to the Covenant of Works for a second. Now, mm-hmm. when I was a charismatic, the Covenant of Works was anything before Malachi, right? Mm-hmm. And the the Covenant of Grace was anything after the the actual coming of Christ. Which, As, which is interesting because yeah. that that's to, to have you express things that no no one can come along and say, well, hold on, well, well that's not what I think. That's not what I believe. I, I don't really, I don't go there. You can say, okay. Uh, okay, I'm glad you don't go there. Uh, I'm glad you don't hold exactly that view. But when I was a yeah, not uh, when I held views other than the views that I'm holding today, and I'm thankful that I've moved this direction. I did believe that. In other words, the the, the self um, the the reference, the self reference, right, gives you uh, some uh, a certain amount of authority when you say this is what. Some people believe, and mm-hmm. is may not be absolutely uncommon for people to hold a certain view. Although that, that's definitely the case, is <laughs> I've been through just about. Well, I don't want to say that. Let's. I've been through a lot as far as as far as um, God's kindness to me and, and bringing me out of all sorts of forms of Christianity. I went the I went from the Restoration movement to the Charismatic movement to the hyper Charismatic. All the way, all the way back to a kind of a dispensational yet some Calvinistic overtones, just in regards to soteriology. You know, the the John MacArthur kind of style there for a while. Then to a dedicated 1689 guy. Um, now I just I, I love this. Mm. This is the beauty of the consistency of this of this of this covenant of grace. It, Frankly, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Hmm. But um, but going all the way back to the charismatic days, um, they would say something to the effect of, um, and this was my understanding, and I was I was teaching in this charismatic movement as, as young as I was, so it, it was a commun- it was an understanding that was communicated to other people, and it, it was fairly common in my circles. Was that Adams? Adam's covenant was 100% works. He didn't have a grace clause. And then uh, maybe uh, Noah's was uh, was 10% grace, but after all, he had to build the boat. You know, <laughs> And there's this increase of grace as we go on, and there's this, there's this decrease of works until finally we're in the new covenant, and uh, we're finally in the, in the new covenant where it's all grace and no works at all. And now, that's completely untenable because of what you already mentioned in Romans 4. Paul is talking about it's to the God who, it's to the one who believes in the God who justifies the ungodly and the sinner. That faith is counted as righteousness. So Paul has already brought up propitiation, already brought up a concept that we might refer to now as as double imputation in Romans chapter 3. He's talking about justification in light of the efficacy of Christ's work on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. And yet he's referring back to Abraham for that that faith is what makes us righteous with God. Then, of course, we understand that faith is a gift and not something we can work in and of ourselves. That's that's also a a huge difference in the charismatic movement. but uh, what would you what would you say to somebody who whose understanding of the covenant of works was anything pre Matthew and grace anything post Malachi? Where would you start? Press and hold. Press and hold. Well, I guess it would depend on where I thought they were starting out, where they if they were if we're ta- if we're dealing with somebody who's got a view of the Old Testament 
that you just described. So, actually, their Bible is Matthew and forward, for all intents and purposes. Amen. Then what I would want to do is go to Paul's use of the Old Testament. Go to Peter's use of the Old Testament. Go to Jude's use of the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews' use of the Old Testament. How are these people... Jesus' use of the Old Testament. How do these uh, New Testament personages treat the religion of their fathers and their mothers, their forefathers? Um, And if Paul says that Abraham was justified by faith, if Jesus condemns the most fastidious law keepers of his day as being self-righteous and hypocritical as a rule, I'm sure you could probably find some Pharisee who even Jesus commended one Pharisee that I can think of, uh, the one who uh, uh, thought he could, thought he would commend Jesus for his uh, good answer on the, which is the great commandments, um, which is the greatest commandment. Jesus gave him the first and the second, uh, and the man uh, came back with a, a statement, and Jesus said, "Well, you're not far from the kingdom." course he wasn't in the kingdom and that was his real problem Um, but uh, Jesus said Moses uh, and them rejoiced to see my day and were glad these were people who were hoping in uh, someone else someone else's righteousness uh, who was going to be for them what they couldn't be for themselves. Uh, that that's, seems to me to be the unmistakable witness of the New Testament, uh, Christ, his apostles, um, and all of the scribes and writers of the New Testament documents that record for us the apostolic um, testimony. Uh, what do, what what. What does Luke, for instance, those famous passages in Luke 24, uh, indicate? What does, uh, what does it indicate there was Jesus' point in his preaching? And the impression that I get, anyway, is that it was preaching not just post-resurrection preaching, but as he said to the men on the road to Emmaus, um, why don't you believe what the scriptures have been teaching? Uh, he, he, he used the Old Testament scriptures to point to himself again and again and again. And so what do we do with the Old Testament form of religion? Do we suppose that, in fact, the faithful um, 
putting, you know, the, the consistent um, outward habit of putting an animal on an altar once a day, once a week, once a month. How often did you have to do it? Uh, and if you just did it when you were expected to do it, is the argument from those that think of the Old Testament as just a big, long covenant of works, um, if they just followed these outward rules, were they right with God? Wouldn't that tend in every case then to put people back upon their own activities and merits? Mm -hmm. It seems to me indisputable. That is exactly what it would do. And so the question is, does does it sound as though the New Testament uh, writers, Jesus himself or his apostles, uh, does it it appear in any place in the New Testament that the notion of uh, obedience in order to please God was ever sufficient? I, I think the, the witness goes the absolute opposite direction. And the inability that man shows consistently uh, whenever he lives in this world is a, a witness of his inability to please God. And certainly there is no rote activity that one could invest all his hope in. As long as I meet this minimal standard of uh, one sacrifice every so often, um, I'll be good to go. Um, How would that not breed um, self-righteousness? How would that not breed confidence in the flesh? The very thing that Paul uh, points out is so deadly. Um, And uh, if we can then get back into the Old Testament, it would seem to me that you could make a good argument from just about anywhere that you wanted to go, um, whether it was late there was a you know a writing prophet, whether it was um, uh, psalms, um, narratives uh, of the history of God's people. Um, you have God making promises, and people believing those promises. So Hebrews eleven tells us: look at all these Old Testament saints who are saved. Through faith. Saved by grace through faith. They are uh, examples of trusting in God, in his word. And um, in fact, you could make, I think, an ironclad argument by saying, look at the history of God's people. Where in the history of God's people is there a record of 
success. You can find various people who are um, doing the right thing here, there. Um, Some people with very little said about them, maybe the only thing you can find about them is some word of commendation. But for that matter, there are, are, you know, we, we, we shouldn't take this one commendation as though that meant they were sinless the rest of the time. Um, the more that is written about any of them, especially the heroes, uh, the more their faults and their flaws become manifested. Right? How long could you go, or I go, with a camera on us, with, with someone you know, walking by uh, near us, writing down all that they observed about us? How long could we do that without bringing shame to ourselves? And the same thing is true in the scriptural re- references that we find, the saints of the Old Testament. The more that's written about them, the more we get a chance to see their faults as well as their their good side. So, you know, the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament is filled with believers. Yes. It doesn't tell us that it's filled with wonderful, obedient, uh, faithful people in the sense of um, uh, being judged, you know, on account of their their good works or their, their, their excellencies, um, that they outweigh, their, their good outweighs their bad, so you make it in, or you have just enough, you know, that, that view that, um, that will be expressed sometimes in our own time by certain, you know, branches of you know, the Christian communion that say, um, you're you can't you, you, you can't please God by your by your works, but God's gonna um, He's gonna take your best effort and measure that on some scale and 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 count that as if you did it uh, the way you were supposed to do it. You know, uh, the idea of congruent merit would uh, would 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 fit that. That tells you who who I might be having in mind there, but um, that 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 it's you know it's not it doesn't measure up. Uh, it's not um, uh, condign, as the word goes, or uh, it's not uh, perfect. Uh, but um, because uh, you know, I've I've shortened the scale a certain amount, it, it it's all it's it's the same kind of view that says. You know, Jesus did 99%, now you just do that 1%. Right. Or you just do 1%, and then Jesus will do the other 99%, in which is, in other words, your 1% uh, will be counted as 100%, thanks right. to Jesus. But that's, again, call to that say... something uh, works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It, that's that's um, taking... Uh, that's saying it's not all of grace. 
right? And so it's not fair for us to say, well, we don't want to say that now, that it's all of, you know, that, uh, that we would add something to the all of grace motif. No, we would only want to say that it's never been different. Amen. It's never been, it's never been the case that, you know, those uh, Old Testament saints laboring as they labored under, under um, pressures uh, and the like, um, that thankfully we don't have to labor under. Nevertheless, you know, they had to give it a good go, in which case, you know, the Lord wouldn't be measuring on the, you know, did you make 51% uh, or, or did you get a C, did you get a 70? Uh, or even, did you just get, you know, 1%? Uh, and then, no, it, it, it's not... That seems to be to me to be Paul's argument in Romans and Galatians that uh, uh, never was uh, uh, the case that um, God's people were uh, accepted on any other basis. And I think that I've also found that to be true as I've preached through passages in the Old Testament, orienting, orienting people today to Christ in a way that is um, consistent with how preachers of the Old Covenant era, the Old Testament time frame, would have done something similar with the same passages, uh, only preaching a, a Christ that we're all still expecting to come. In hearty agreement with, with all of that. Um, having come out of that perspective myself, let me just echo some things here. Um, Jesus, uh, what... Um, Jesus mentions in Luke 24, as Pastor Bruce alluded to, those famous passages in Luke 24. He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Um, it's not intentional on the heart, uh, on behalf of many, but when you cast a doubt on the salvific uh, quality of the administration of the covenant of grace, when you when you cast a doubt on this singularity uh, of God's dealing with His people, and it was always by grace, it was always through faith, it was always in Christ, it was always according to the Scriptures, it was always for the glory of God. You, in forfeiting the Old Testament's authority to inform the New Testament, you, you really you forfeit the entirety of the Word of God. In Luke twenty four forty four, same chapter, then he said to them, "These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all must be fulfilled that was written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the writings concerning me." And he opened up their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Um, Peter's preaching in Acts 3, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from your brethren, and he shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. Excuse me. And it shall be that every soul who does not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among his people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel, remember he just quoted Moses, and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. The prophets of old were preaching about our time. Um, Jesus drives the same point home. He says, but you do not, he's 
he's uh, talking to the Pharisees, the Jews who were having a problem with him healing on the Sabbath in John five thirty seven. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Now, that's, that's amazing. Romans hadn't come out yet. Galatians hadn't come out yet. All these things that are just pure mercy on a Gentile hearer. I mean, in Christ is still holding these people accountable for not seeing him in the First Testament. And even in, in Paul's prelude in Romans, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an, apo- uh, an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What, what, what did he promise through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born in the scene of David according to the flesh. So when, when Paul is talking about these things, he's, he's listing his presuppositions in these first seven verses where he's gonna, there's a real sense of where he doesn't stray much, he just expounds on what he's talking about. The, the supremacy of the scriptures, the centrality of Christ and his gospel, the glory of God in raising him from the dead, and the obedience of faith through grace. And you see that in verse 7. All of these things the prophets had already spoken. So while we might enjoy a greater degree of clarity in Romans, they haven't strayed from the message at all. And so these Christocentric understandings were kind of pulling me out of my own understanding. There's so much that you said, Pastor Bruce, I can't wait to go back to. But anything, anything, on, anything on those passages I just read? Okay, and on that cliffhanger, we are going to part ways. I am really looking forward to uh, next week's episode, and I know you are as well. Keep tuning in. Be blessed. <laughs>